tickets may hop by Metro Plus. WQHT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this special episode of Street Soldiers on the Eric Garner case. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter at Lisa Evers and Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. This is part two of our special coverage on the Eric Garner case, The Journey for Justice. Phone lines are open. Rose is on them right now at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Tweet us at Lisa Evers at street underscore soldiers hashtag eric garner with your comments and we're going to get into this in just a minute we've got a great panel looking at this from a variety of different angles taking your phone calls at 1-800-223-9797 but first i want to let you know and remind you in less than two weeks two weeks from yesterday our brooklyn push for peace show is going down at brooklyn borough hall with borough president eric adams dj marsh and we've got so many celebrities eric mena from Love and Hip Hop New York. And just this week confirmed, Murder Mook will be in the building. So will Mano. It's Mano's second Push for Peace show that he's done with us. So shout to him and thank you to him. We're going to have free giveaways, Monster Headphones. We've got Monster Headphones we're giving out, all kinds of CDs. And it's going to be fantastic. Many, many community groups have already signed on. And I'm, I'm going to be giving you more information later in the show. If you want to get in on it, you can hit up my producer, Tone Capone. Tone 4, the number 4 real at gmail.com that's tone the number four real at gmail.com you can also get the info by following me on twitter at lisa evers and also on my website you can see the flyer by at michael medium on lisaevers.com now in terms of the era garner case major major developments this week the new york city medical examiner has ruled era garner's death a homicide, that he died from a police chokehold. The exact language is that his death was caused by, quote, compression of the chest and prone positioning during physical restraint by police, end quote. Garner's widow, Mrs. Esau Garner, said, thank God the truth is out. Chokeholds are banned by the NYPD. Police Commissioner Bratton says the NYPD is doing its own investigation and will cooperate with the Staten Island District Attorney. Commissioner Bratton also announced this week that he plans to retrain all New York City police officers within four to six months and that that will include physical training. Now the police officer we saw in the video, Daniel Pantaleo, he has turned in his badge and his gun. Four EMTs who responded to the scene are suspended without pay while the investigation is going on. And we did hear from Pat Lynch, the head of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, that's a police union. His response to the medical examiner's findings was simply that if Eric Garner had not resisted the lawful order of police, this tragedy would not have occurred. What do you think? What does justice look like in this case? Is a cash payout to the family the only thing that will happen? Is there legal? Are there legal proceedings? Should the police officer, as Reverend Al Sharpton suggested at City Hall this week, should the police officer be put in a perp walk? That's where they take the criminal in handcuffs in front of all the media. Give us a call and let us know what you think at one eight hundred two two three. 9797. That's 1 800 9797. On Twitter, at Lisa Evers, at street underscore soldiers, hashtag Eric Garner. Text your friends and family now and tell them to listen on the radio or on their phones using the TuneIn or iHeartRadio apps. Also streaming live 
on hot97.com. And a little later in the show, we'll be making more announcements about the Push for Peace show we're doing at Brooklyn Borough Hall on August 16th. But right now, let me introduce our panel to you. And of course, Rose is on the phones right now. Give her a call, one 800 223 if you want to get your opinion in here on the air. Joining us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He is a professor of criminal justice at the college and university level here in the tri-state area. He is a former NYPD lieutenant who worked in the police academy and also in internal affairs. Dr. Porcher, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Also with us is one of our legends from the community. The one and only James Robinson, the founder of the Bed-Stuy Volunteer Ambulance Corps. James, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, uh, Lisa. It is Commander Rocky Robinson. Thank you. Commander. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. You, will you forgive me for that? Yes, I will. Okay, but I'm right about the legend part. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also joining us is Antoine Robinson. He's an EMT. Antoine, thank you very much for... Good morning. Did I have yours wrong, too? Yeah, paramedic. It's it's okay. <laughs> all right, you're going to have to explain that to me. <laughs> and it's no problem. Didn't we go over all this before? <laughs> anyway, also joining us is Charles Coleman. He's a former prosecutor with the Kings County, that's Brooklyn, District Attorney's Office. He's currently a federal civil rights trial attorney and a legal commentator. Charles, thanks for being back with us. Thanks we for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it. And your phone call is 1-800-223-9797. Charles, now that the medical examiner has ruled this a homicide, what are the legal options that are open to the DA, to whoever else is looking into this case. So this puts a very interesting spin on where things go from here as far as the entire scope of what we're dealing with uh, is concerned. The first thing that could happen is that the district attorney in Staten Island, District Attorney Donovan, could decide to put this in front of a grand jury and seek to get a criminal indictment with respect to the uh, arresting officer. The difficulty there is a question of what sort of charges he would pursue in terms of the homicide charges that are available. This in most cases is not going to be, be considered murder. So then he has to make the decision. Well, do we go for criminally negligent homicide, which is essentially manslaughter two, or do we go for manslaughter one? And when you're talking about manslaughter one, you have to be able to show that there was the intent to cause serious physical harm. And I think when you start going into uh, looking at the case and looking at the facts in terms of even what we have in terms of video, I don't know that you can actually make that out. So there are some decisions that have to be made by the district attorney's office. The other option, um, of course, is that the uh, federal government, the Department of Justice, could pick it up um, and they could decide to con- conduct their own investigation. I think that there are some holes and some issues that have already occurred with respect to NYPD's internal investigation. There were the inconsistencies with the the initial reports that came out. And even now, as you look at the medical examiner's report uh, and the fact that this was ruled a homicide, which was not um, consistent with the early findings of NYPD, there is, I think, just cause for the federal government to at least be interested in in sort of investigating this further, because in some ways, the uh, internal report from PD has proven unreliable. So it'll be very interesting to see which pathway this goes down because right now there are a number of different things that could happen. Uh, I don't even know whether District Attorney Donovan will be inclined to put this in front of a grand jury. Um, there are a lot of political pressures that are going on from all angles. Obviously, there's the media angle, there's the community angle, and of course, uh, there's the internal angle in terms of police. Can he say, because Staten Island, as many of us know, there are many police officers that live there, um, can he simply say, listen, I don't want to deal with this, or I think it's better if the feds handle this? I mean, is there... Is, is that possible? He certainly could. I think the more likely approach there, however, and, and this is something that if, if 
you know, depending on the internal investigation, what they found would be more likely to happen would be that he would bring in a special prosecutor. And so it would not be a prosecutor from the Staten Island's district attorney's office, but they might bring in a special prosecutor from another DA's office, maybe Brooklyn, to uh, come in, present the case to to a special grand jury and, and try to get an indictment. But like I said, I think even before you talk about the indictment, the question becomes, okay, what is the actual charge that you are looking to prosecute him for. And you can't, I mean, it's somewhat duplicitous to try to, to prosecute on him on manslaughter one and two because the theories undercut each other. You can't say that he uh, was acting with a depraved indifference and, and was basically reckless and at the same time say that he intended to do something else. So that's going to be a very tough decision for any uh, prosecutor to make in terms of putting it in front of a grand jury. All right. Dr. Darren Porcher, when, when you saw that video and as this case unfolded what are your thoughts about this because you have an unusual background unusual background interesting uh i was very disturbed and i felt the instance was the incident was somewhat troubling and i felt that it could have been handled differently as a prior police lieutenant i feel that my my greatest weapon on the street is my mind and if you're able to talk people i've i've always been successful with talking people through confrontational situations in the street. Now, oftentimes, you may have instances where his force should be used, but I believe that that's the last step possible in engaging an individual that needs to be arrested. I think training, um, as as uh, Commissioner Bratton stated, is a very interesting point. However, I think it goes a step further than that. I think that the officers need to have a greater awareness to the individuals in the street. And one of the things that I recommend is body cameras for the officers in the street. Because if the officers wear body cameras, it does one. It will strengthen the convictions for the people that they encounter in the street. And secondly, it gives an officer a greater awareness that other people are watching what he or she is doing while they're in the street. All right. I want to come back to that issue about cameras because it was the video. A lot of people are saying that if there were not if there was not a video of this incident, that it just would not have gotten the attention that it received. And it would not have there would not be the results that we see today where the medical examiner issued a ruling. Commander Rocky Robinson, when you saw that video of Eric Garner lying on the ground there and the paramedics showing up. What struck you about that? Well, first of all, evidently the young lady was intimidated. And her partner, I'd never seen him come near uh, to assist her. So, and the paramedics, even though they was on the scene, they never came into the picture. And the first thing you're going to do When you arrive on the scene, you give a 10-second scene survey. Then you go over and you start to ask bystanders, police, do anybody know what happened here? So you find out the mechanism of injury. And then if you come on the scene and you see somebody laying there the way he was laying, and you notice he got cuffs on him, evidently lifeless or unresponsive. You have to take control because the police incident is basically over. The man is unconscious. There's no uh, uh, reason to be afraid that if you take off the cuffs, he's going to attack you. He can't attack anybody. As a matter of fact, he was saying as he was being choked, I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. And they assumed that he was lying. He wasn't lying. You have to opt on survival, not death. And what happened is 
He was choked to death when the uh, people came on the scene, the EMTs came on the scene. They was intimidated. They refused to tell the officers, you have to remove those cuffs so we could do CPR, do primary assessment, check the carotid artery. If this man is not circulating, you got to do compressions. You got to... Uh, Open up that airway. You got to take spinal precautions. You got to breathe for, ventilate for that person. None of this was done. As a matter of fact, I even heard the young lady say, can you walk to the ambulance? And when she was taking, checking for breath signs, the poor girl was so scared, she checked down at the waist. I was horrified. This was unnecessary. The cops, of course... They were wrong, period. They were wrong. The way they handled that for a 75-cent cigarette, the man was actually lost his life because he was selling a 75-cent cigarette when they are people making billions with warehouse of untaxed uh, cigarettes, and you're going to go after a guy on the street that was selling. What happened if he was selling it for a penny? Would he still be dead? And you say resisting arrest? So if he's resisting arrest, that's what that the police, calls, that's what the that police calls union for say. his execution? Because he's resisting arrest? Of course, we're going to have to do something about this. This is horrible for the rest of the world. They look on television, and what do they see? In America, the, leading, uh, the leaders of the world, where we're going to execute somebody for selling a cigarette, and then try to defend the action. And there have been, I mean, and there have been, just to be fair, because, you know, and I'm sure I'm inviting police officers to call in, too. You know you don't have to use your name, 1-800-223-9797. The NYPD, there are many members that are just genuinely and sincerely concerned about helping people, and that's why they get into law enforcement in the first place. So I, I know I know the ones that are the good guys and the good the good women are very upset by what they saw. That's what, that's what I've been hearing over the week. But, Antoine, when you looked at the video, a lot of people were like, isn't the first thing, or maybe it's just because of what we see on TV, you check the vitals? Like, you check, like, if the person isn't breathing, isn't that a gigantic red flag? Like, we, you swing into an emergency mode there? Absolutely. That's uh, one of the things the American Heart Association emphasized. Like, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor in the ER, if you're a paramedic out on the street, or you're a teacher in the daycare facility. When you receive your CPR training, everyone is required to get our CPR training working in these types of environments. And the American Heart Association put things like that in place to make sure that we able to react quickly. But let me ask you this. So you arrive at a scene like that. There's a man on his side. He's handcuffed. He's absolutely, totally unresponsive. They tap his shoulder. I mean, he ju- it just looks like, you know, he's, he looks like he's completely unconscious. What, like, one, two, three, what are the steps that you, you are trained to do as a paramedic? First and foremost, just like the Commander Robinson just said, we check the scene for our own safety. We check the scene. We try to ascertain what is the mechanism of injury? What is the nature of illness? Why is this patient laying here needing medical assistance? After you ascertain what's going on and make sure that the scene is safe, you put on your gloves and make sure that you're protecting yourself. Uh, you approach the patient. You check the patient for responsiveness. Uh, checking the re- patient for responsiveness, we do this on a scale called the AVPU, which is alert, verbal, 
painful and unresponsive. So if I approach you and I say, sir, are you okay? And you look up and say, I'm fine. You are alert. If in fact, um, uh, I tap you, uh, then that's a painful response. That's a painful stimuli. If the patient isn't giving any type of painful stimuli, uh, any response to painful stimuli, then we move on to unresponsive. And if your patient is unresponsive, you immediately check the carotid artery. That's the artery that's inside of your neck, the pulse in your neck. If the blood isn't circulating to your brain, then this patient basically is dead. At that time, you will immediately start CPR. In Mr. Gardner's case, he was... Um, handcuffed. He was handcuffed. Thank you, Commander. He was handcuffed. You cannot perform CPR on a handcuffed patient. You need to have the patient lie flat. You cannot perform CPR on the handcuffed patient. So when, those, hand, when he's handcuffed, behind, no, his yeah. hands are handcuffed behind his back. Behind his back. So the cuffs have to come off. He, it's, it's apparent that he isn't get, going anywhere and he's no longer a threat. Uh, in a lot of cases, when we do take the patient handcuffs off, if the police are adamant about leaving the patient restraint, we would cuff them to the side of the stretcher. But they're in no way possible. Can There's they do CPR with him, with his hand, hands handcuffed? But some of the, something I heard from, from some paramedics and EMTs this week too was, they were, they were saying that when they get to the scene sometimes, depending upon what's happening, that the police have you know control of the scene and that they are kept at a distance from the person that they are responding to if that person is a suspect in some cases have you ever seen that i've seen that when you are intimidated by the police like the commander said you gotta take over medical emergency you gotta let them know i mean you're not a com- having no confrontation with them but you gotta understand that now i'm the professional police, here and this is my right. job right so now i have to uh Take control of the scene as far as the patient. They can keep control of the scene, but I gotta have control of that patient. Absolutely, uh, Doctor Darren Porcher. What's the what's the police policy been the NYPD policy about that? When there's somebody that's that's been placed under arrest, that's a suspect, and then it it appears there's some kind of medical condition. Just in general, I can generally understand if a person appears to be violent and the officer wants to handcuff someone for safety. But I also understand where the medical staff would have a concern in terms of performing their uh, their duties. Therefore, we have to straddle the fence in a situation like that and work what's best for the health and well-being of this individual. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to some phone calls. Let's go to Greg from Brooklyn. Greg, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I think that arrest is unjust. How, how many times have you ever traveled to the city and you see individuals selling knockoff pocketbooks and watches? You know, for someone that was selling cigarettes, that, that is totally unjust. Second of all, at what point do you begin to get physical with a person that's not listening? You know, I, I feel that these third and fourth responders to the scene have a hero complex that they just approach the scene and just completely try to take it over and actually get a little too physical. The, the individual had his hands up, back to the wall. There was absolutely no threat. Three, four, five officers came. At what point do you begin to get physical when somebody isn't listening? He wasn't going to go anywhere. He could not run for you guys. There were entirely too many officers. That's, that's something is disturbing. Lastly, I would hope that they actually allow the public to view every aspect of this case. Because like many cases... That have, that have went the wrong way. The public's outrage is just is it's just very difficult, very violent. I would seriously hope that they allow people to view every aspect of this case, so we can see exactly what's going on. 
All right, uh, Greg, thank you very much for the call. I think um, if I if I can respond to some of the points that the caller brought up, I think that uh, a lot of what was encapsulated in what he had to say touches on many of the larger issues surrounding the Garner case. And, and one of the, the biggest issues is the feeling of over-policing in communities of color, in particular, when you talk about how NYPD sort of uh, has proliferated the streets with respect to the, the broken windows approach to crime fighting. Um, it, it, it really touches on the sense of being profiled. Uh, you know, there have been reports repeatedly about how the arresting officer uh, was known to Mr. Garner. Mr. Mr. Garner was known to the arresting officer and his team for the things that he had done previously. But on a certain level, this does have a lot to do with profiling and, and, and inconsistent policing uh, across New York. And there's a, a feeling of outrage and an understandable feeling of outrage when you look at how uh, members of community of color, communities of color have typically been treated with respect to the over-policing that is, that is occurring. Um, and, 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 and so that's another significant part of what this whole case is really about. Uh, the media. The well, media, let's I'm save sorry. the media. For, let's okay. save the media for a little bit. A little bit later in the show. But Dr. Darren Porter, in, in, ter, in terms of what what Charles Coleman just said, the that sense of over policing. There were a lot of people that thought with the election of Mayor De Blasio that there would be this community policing idea would be more of a respect for the community as opposed to a crackdown on um, what are considered you know these these misdemeanor offenses like selling Lucy's. Well, to start with Mayor De Blasio. I think he's gotten right in front of this. I know he his election campaign was we are over policed as a society here in New York, and he he his goal was to come in and change this. He started with the dropping of the Floyd case, which is the stop and frisk um, case that we had against the NYPD. He immediately dropped the appeal, and so I believe that the Mayor De Blasio is getting in front of this. Uh, it's some when we think of a community as being over policed. Do we have aspects of that? Absolutely. However, I think that it's something that takes time, and I think that the mayor's head is in the right place in terms of moving forward with this. Incidents like this, as unfortunate as it is, just going back to Eric Garner, it's a travesty. I mean, we're talking about what happened, but at the end of the day, it's always a travesty when a life is lost. And when we have a life that's lost, we really need to evaluate what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, police are public servants. Police are here here to serve the public. And if they're not serving the public in accordance, then we have to make some changes. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to Tyrone from Staten Island. Tyrone, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I did know Eric. Uh, I do. I am uh, very much familiar with the situation, but uh, a couple of comments I just wanted to make. Uh, number one, there was definitely no urgency uh, when the uh, paramedics arrived on the scene, uh, none whatsoever, as if he was just a uh, injured dog lying on the ground. Uh, that's basically how that was, and absolutely there would have been a cover-up, absolutely without a shadow of a doubt. SI Live works hand-in-hand with the 112 uh, Police Department. This I know for a fact. They they, first, they were the first ones to... Uh, come out with their story if you look i don't know if you could still pull up their first initial story which was the day of the incident they had a totally different story uh also uh there's a uh, a white lady that uh sells cigarettes here in staten now and at a local western beef she sells tons of cigarettes 
She's not being harassed. She's not being bothered. It's a normal nine to five for her, but no issues with her whatsoever. Uh, one other thing I just want to say briefly, we definitely need a new Black Panther Party. I support it 100%. Police need to be policed. We need sort of like a, sort of speak like a police coach. Same way that NBA Okay, well, that's, has- you know what, uh, Tyrone, I got to cut you off because we have to take a short break, but I want to thank you for calling in. And we're going to talk about the training. We're also going to talk about the uh, role of the media in this, what role the media played in all of this. And also, I want to remind you, uh, less than two weeks like two weeks from yesterday, our Brooklyn Push for Peace. This is the first time we are bringing Hot 97 Street soldiers to Brooklyn ever. We've been to the Bronx. We've been to Harlem. We've been to Newark a whole bunch of times. First time ever in Brooklyn, thanks to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and the whole team here at Hot 97. And uh, we got an amazing show for you. If you ever wonder what it's like to actually do a radio show, you can be part of the town hall show that we're going to be taping at Borough Hall. We're going to have free door prizes, including Monster headphones, CDs, T-shirts, all kinds of stuff. DJ Martian. We've got all kinds of celebrities. We just confirmed this week Murder Mook, the greatest battle rapper of all time, so he tells me. And also the one and only Mano. No, he is. The Mano will be there as well. And uh, we're going to have many other artists. There'll be entertainment. We have NBA players, Sebastian Telfair, who just signed with the Oklahoma City Thunder, Brooklyn's own Commander Robinson Smiling, yes, from uh, Mermaid Surfside Houses in Brooklyn. What about Godfather Rock? Yeah. <laughs> Sebastian's going to be there with his 90, 99 moves, Stop the Violence campaign, and a whole bunch of NBA players for our Shoot Hoops, Not Guns event, sponsored by Uppercut's Barbershop from West Islip, Long Island, coming in to set that up for us. We've got tons of community groups I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. And, uh, you know, Erica Mena, Love and Hip Hop from VH1, Caesar and Duchess, VH1's Black Ink, many more celebrities uh, that we'll be announcing next Sunday for you as well. So it's going to be a great time. So put a note in your calendar on your phone right now. Saturday, August 16th, 1 to 4 p.m. Come and see us. You know, come and hang out with us all afternoon. We're going to have clean music. You can bring the kids. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. It's a Brooklyn kind of month for me. Tuesday, I'm going to be at the Roosevelt Houses 6 to 8 for a National Night Out Against Crime. So you can check me out there, too. But uh, we're going to continue taking your phone calls on the Eric Garner case. What would you like to see happen next? Some people say the police officers should be arrested. Other people say it's time for a whole look at the way NYPD is relating with the community. Other people say that um, it's... It's, it's time to have a new way to deal with these situations when police cross the line. So that's what we're going to be talking about when we come back. And what about the media? Did they help this case or did they hurt it? Hot 97's on to Reggae Tip Weekend continues. We're moving the concert outdoors for the first time ever Friday, August 29th. Ooh, new Pier 97 on the Hudson River. Hosted by Bobby Condors and Jabba performing live. Shabba Ranks, Shaggy, Beanie Man, Bungie Garland, Tasani Chin, and more. It's going to be awesome. I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Kelly wants to play ride or die. Do you have any, like, best friends that maybe she doesn't love you hanging out with? So how about this? O wants to take you to Caravana, and you want her permission for you to go with this coworker she doesn't like and go party with hot island gals all weekend. Hello? Yeah, um, August is going to uh, Cabana for like a weekend or so. I was wondering if I could, if I could get you okay, if I could go. You want to go, you go. I'm not stop you. What? Yo, wait, wait, wait. Oh, what? my goodness. I still love my baby. Yeah, my we wife. know you do because you're scared of her like a little biatch. <laughs> Whatever. I love my wife. Fuck 
you. Ebro in the morning with Laura Styles and Rosenberg on Hot 97. Hot or iced, just the same price. Why do you keep singing that? Because McDonald's has any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for just a buck. Say I want a medium hot McCafe coffee on my way to work, just a dollar. Cool. Or if I want a small caramel iced coffee, just a buck. Or even a I look. get it, I get it. It's any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for a dollar. Any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for just a dollar. There's something for everyone to love at McDonald's. Prices and participation may vary. A la carte only. Hot or iced. Man, she got that stuck in my head. Man, I'm going to McDonald's. How do you take your coffee? Uh, bacon, griddle cakes. Huh? Egg, cheese, one sugar. Oh, you want a bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles with your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> well, what'd you do without me? I'd be sleeping. What? I mean, you complete me. There's something for everyone to love at McDonald's. Grab your favorite breakfast sandwich, or for a limited time, get two sausage McGriddle sandwiches for only $3. Prices and participation may vary. See store for details. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Obvious. If a hotel doesn't charge you for something, then it's free. Either that, or you stole something and got away with it. Say free backwards, and you get YERF. When you earn a free night with the Hotels.com Rewards Program, you don't just earn a night, you earn a free night. Earn one free night for every 10 you collect with welcome rewards from Hotels.com. The obvious choice. Free night does not include taxes and fees. See site for details. If you've ever wanted a truly spectacular diamond ring, you'll want to visit Jared this Friday through Sunday. That's because this Friday through Sunday, when you purchase your diamond at Jared, you'll receive up to a $1,000 reward toward the purchase of a beautiful diamond setting. Choose from thousands of diamonds and have your own one-of-a-kind ring created right here at Jared. Get set in diamonds this Friday through Sunday for a reward worth up to $1,000 only at Jared. It can only be Motorcycle riding season is in full swing, and there are more motorcycles on the road than ever before. Crashes involving motorcycles are often the result of a motorist failing to yield the right-of-way or caused by a motorist who is distracted. And motorcycle riders are vulnerable and more exposed. Drivers and riders, we're all in this together. Please, be smart and pay attention to your driving. Share the road and watch for motorcycles. Sponsored by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee, aired in cooperation with the New York Radio Market Association. Ho, ho, hold on. Christmas in August. Why not? Sansone Hyundai will have you jingling all the way with a $500 Apple gift card during their Christmas in August sales event. We're taking up to $5,000 off dealer posted price on every Hyundai in stock. Plus, every Hyundai comes with America's best warranty, 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty, and Hyundai Assurance. Check us out online at SansoneHyundai.com. I know people buy cars elsewhere. I just don't know why. You want thrills? Six Flags has thrills. Go steeper on El Toro. You like heights? Go higher on King Cobb. You need speed? Go faster on Superman Ultimate Flight. Want something new? Check out the new Zumanjaro Drop of Doom. A world record 415-foot vertical drop. Save up to 25 bucks with a coupon from Dunkin' Donuts. Or buy a day and get a summer free with a thrill pass. We're the world's largest theme park, so go big. Go Six Flags Great Adventure. One, two, three, four. Four. That's how many haircuts you can get right now at Supercuts for just 10 bucks each. Get four haircuts from the best trained stylists in the business. Buy a prepaid card to get four haircuts just $10 each. And participating Supercuts while supplies last. Limited time only. No double discounts. Yo, what up? It's the game, and it's the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. 
Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, at Lisa Evers on Twitter. And on Twitter, if you're following me on Twitter, you can see that amazing exclusive interview I did with LL Cool J this week um, for Fox 5 News. So big shout out to LL Cool J in in New York all summer long, very quietly working on an album with a lot of New York artists and uh, doing his thing. He said he came back, wanted to do this and really give the up and coming artists here in New York a new platform. So big shout out, lots of love to LL Cool J. And you can see that video on Lisa Evers com as well. We are talking about the Eric Garner case. Last Sunday here on Street Soldiers, we had uh, the daughter of Eric Garner, Emerald Snipes. She spoke out for the first time publicly to give us a sense of what kind of man her father was because she was a little bit upset about the way that he was being portrayed in the media. Here's what Emerald had to say about her father. I always had my dad in my life. I've never remember a time where I was never able to say okay hey dad or you know call me or i'll call you or christmas birthdays holidays every easter we used to go to the circus we used to go out to eat we used to go everywhere like my dad made sure we had everything we needed and he always made sure that we went somewhere so he was just really a family guy he always made sure everybody was taken care of Taking your phone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That was Emerald Snipes, um, the daughter of Eric Garner, speaking out exclusively to Hot 97 Street Soldiers last Sunday. We're talking about this case. What does justice look like for the family? And also, what about the media's role in all of this? She was upset about how her father was portrayed as as some street person when, in fact, she said he'd been married to her mother since they were teenagers, father of six, and that he was always involved in his children's life, uh, lives. Joining us, Dr. Darren Porcher, former NYPD uh, lieutenant. He's currently a professor, university professor of criminal justice. The one and only legendary Commander Rocky Robinson, founder of the Bed-Stuy Volunteer Ambulance Corps, and also Antoine Robinson, a paramedic. Um, Also joining us, Charles Coleman, former prosecutor with Kings County. That's the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, federal civil uh, rights trial attorney, and a legal commentator, and your telephone calls, and... Mr. Coleman, you brought up the media issue in this. I, th- I you know, I think that the media is, 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 is a double-edged sword when you look at cases like these. Because even as, speaking as a former prosecutor, I will say that the overwhelming majority of the New York Police Department officers that are out there do their job with the highest level of integrity, with the intention to do the right thing in the right situations. Um, unfortunately, the media is just unable to, and in some ways, maybe uninterested in covering the stories where the person who was committing armed robberies around Brownsville, you know, is, is got busted by, by a good cop who was doing good work um, and, and following things to procedure. You know, those those types of stories don't necessarily get on the front page of the news or of the post. And so what happens is when you have cases like these, they are the ones that get the media attention. And so it sort of magnifies some of the bad apples that are in NYPD. Now, having said that, I can speak from the experience of being an African-American male in New York City, and I understand that the, that there are real problems with respect to how communities of color are policed uh, uh, by the NYPD. But I do think that, you know, the way and, and the coverage that media gives to cases like these sort of skews it in a way that really, really puts communities of color even more so on the defensive. Dr. Porcher, what do you think about the way the media has played out in this case? Well, I understand it. I mean, at the end of the day, we look at the First Amendment, which is free press. And I think uh, us having a free press in a democratic society is very important because it shows us what happens around us. 
And had I not seen that video, I wouldn't have known what happened in Staten Island. So I think the press plays a very intricate role in an awareness for us as a society. So do I think that the, the NYPD is demonized based on the media? I think it's a I think it's a double-edged sword because in many instances I've seen the media portray police officers that have done the right thing such as a sensational arrest. I mean, I think back to when we had the gentleman out in uh Brooklyn that stabbed the kids. That was on the front page of the news on on a constant basis. So I think that at the end of the day, the media does what the media does is it gives us an overall perspective of what happens in society. I don't necessarily believe that it's overly um I think it, I don't believe it overly portrays the negative aspects of the NYPD or the positive. I think it's and I, and I think too. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this not just to be defensive about my career as a journalist and as a, a television news reporter, but it's also, you know, that different reporters, different people, different stations have different takes on things. And I think it's really, you know, you have to find people if you're cons- a media consumer, you have to find sites that you trust, you have to find reporters that you trust or people shows that you trust, like many of our street soldiers listeners do, and uh, you know. And take it from there and then understand and try and, and read as much as you possibly can and look at as much as you possibly can to get an idea. But you like this idea of cameras on the, uh, the police officers having cameras. Yes, I do. And you think that'll help that that will be good for them is because a lot of police have been very resistant to that idea. But you think it'll be a good idea. I can truly I think it's a great idea. As a police officer working in the street, I would have hated to have a camera on me every day. However, the highway patrol officers, they have cameras mounted on their dashboards when they pull people over. And what it does is it brings a sense of awareness to the officer that, look, I need to follow the rules in accordance with department guidelines when I stop an individual, when I give him a summons. It also protects that officer from an allegation such as someone claiming that the officer stole money or someone unnecessarily brutalized that individual. But it also highlights to us as a society what happens. So when we think when we see things such as Eric Gardner, for example, it brings an awareness to us as a society that we know that, hey, look, these things are happening and they're wrong. And if you look at it, whenever we're viewed Whenever we're viewed on camera, we always have that conscious effort to do the right thing because we know other people are watching. All right, let's go to Nicole from New Jersey. Nicole, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello? Yes, Nicole, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Yeah, I. you know, I'm, I'm an African-American. I live in New Jersey, and I understand that, you know, that the cops were maybe a little overzealous. But I think in a whole, society has forgotten that cops are regular people. They're going to make the same mistakes that we would make in a in a high volume situation, and I feel like you're, uh, one of the people on there was like, you know, a cop is a civil servant, like they serve the community, but they also have families at home. When that when they were killing cops in Jersey City, there was nobody rallying for those cops because it's oh it's okay for them to kill cops. But when a cop does something that's wrong, it's all over the news. Wow. It makes big press. Everyone wants to Nicole, march you, you're, ta- you're talking about the case recently where the, the Jersey City police officer was basically ambushed yes, uh, by, by a suspect. I don't think anybody, honestly, I don't yeah. think anybody thought, oh, it's, it's okay. Everybody, I think everybody was horrified by that. Yeah, they were horrified by it. But it seems like with the media, the media does play a side. You can't say the media don't play a side. They're going to go to where the story is the biggest. 
Well, that part is that that part is true. Let me get a response from our guests on this. You know, I I understand uh, the caller's frustration, and, and but at the same time, there were a few things that that she said that alarmed me. The first one was that the officer made a mistake, and <laughs> the reality is that we cannot afford uh, to make to a have mistake. Officers who make mistakes who make mistakes that end up costing people their lives. That's very significant to realize that, you know, it, it's it's one thing to arrest the wrong person. It's one thing to to charge the wrong offense. But that is another are, thing to kill them. Exactly. When you are you think, a mistake, You think that's what happened, Commander Ross? That's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, I hate to say it. I've been on both sides of the fence. I was a military police officer, honor guard military police officer, Arlington National Cemetery. I know about police work. Also, what happens here was a complete disregard for this person's life. Let's tell it like it is. And and uh, for people to say, well, you know, you got good cops and they're natural. They make mistakes, too. Of course, that's a given. But then by the same token, if you don't key on those bad apples that's doing things like that, it will continue. We the, just can't the, uh, push it under the rug and act like it didn't happen. I think that I don't think that any time during this altercation that that officer felt his life was in danger and he needed to use some type well, there, of Well, There were force. other officers around there, too. Let's go to Staten Island ten. right now. Let's go to uh, John from Staten Island. Go right ahead. Good morning. Yes, uh I just call you know, everybody's stressing the fact that, that, you know, he was doing something illegal, which to me, selling a loose cigarette is ridiculous to say it's illegal when, you know, it's the same thing as handing it to someone, which everybody does. That's right. The price of the, the, the cigarettes. But if you look at it, what was the officer doing? He was doing something illegal, an illegal chokehold that he was supposedly trained not to do, but no one, no one will speak on that. It, it's always what the person did, so-called criminal. You know, I grew up on that block. I grew up two blocks from there on Victory and Monroe all my life. And I'm talking about I left out of there in 95, 96, and the harassment was going on over there. And like everyone said, they're all good cops. I mean, you had cops that walked the beat that were cool with you. You know, they come over, they talk to you. You know, back then we had the PAL, baseball league, all that. That's how the community got involved with the police then. But you had your bad apples that wanted to harass you every day. Hello. Just hanging out on the corner. All right, John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. I also think when, and, and I. I didn't get a chance to really say this for the last caller. When you talk about mistakes, part of the reason that people feel the way that they do about this entire situation is that it seems that the mistakes that are made by PD tend to continue to occur exclusively, almost to the exclusion of other communities. It seems as there's certainly the the appearance that officers are, are more mistake prone when it when in terms of over policing or dealing with communities of color and and, and people's of co- and people of color and that's part of the problem part of the problem is that there is an extra layer of care and discretion which is exercised when you are dealing with and interacting with members of other communities and i think or, that's, or more affluent that communities or more right. affluent. Well, what about that dr outrage. Deerporter? what do you think about that two standards of policing would this have happened in a, a white upper east side I think this is an interesting point, and I really, I truly believe that officers should be rotated more often, whereas an officer would work in, let's say, 
a more affluent neighborhood for a period of time and then rotated into a, a more economically impoverished neighborhood. Whereas the officer with this amalgamation of experiences would work to mold that officer's interpersonal communication skills. The uh, police department, to to what uh, Charles Coleman was just saying, says will will res- usually responds to that kind of issue and says, well, there of course there's going to be more police interactions in neighborhoods where there is more crime. Is that true? I've heard that over and over and again, over and over again, but I don't believe that to be an excuse. I think at the end of the day, you need you must treat people accordingly. Um, as I mentioned in the earlier part of this interview, my greatest weapon is my mind. And I really take pride in the fact that I respect everyone that I deal with. And I believe officers on patrol should do the same. And by and large, most officers do. However, I believe a rotation of officers throughout the city on a regular basis would improve upon that fact. All right, let's bring in right now Lloyda Colon. She's with the Justice Committee. They've been fighting for changes with the NYPD. Lloyda, are you there? I'm here. Do I have your name correctly? Yes, Lloyda Cologne. Lloyda, yes. okay. Tell us, um, if you could just come on the phone and off the speaker, that'd be great. We'd be able to hear you a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. This is better? Yeah, much better. Thank you. Just tell us briefly what um, what you are, are asking for. I mean, for us, we've been working with cases like Gardner's for almost 30 years, and the medical examiner's ruling reaffirms that what New Yorkers already knew, that Eric Gardner's death was preventable and unjustified. Um, the mayor de Blasio and convention of Bratton must end broken windows program of hyper aggressive enforcement of minor and nonviolent infractions. We need zero tolerance for police brutality by ensuring swift and appropriate disciplinary action of officers that violate New Yorkers' rights. Or these incidents will escalate, and out of control policing will continue. You know, we need systemic and cultural change of the NYPD. Training is not the problem. It's a completely inadequate solution. And it is time for DA Donovan, Mayor de Blasio, Commissioner Bratton to do the right thing, to do the right thing in this case. All, all the officers need to be held accountable. Okay, Lloyd, that's actions a, and non-actions. All right, and that, that's. It. I, I want to thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. And the the, the point that she's the point that she's saying, uh, some of the callers on the on the phones are bringing up is that they don't feel this one police officer is turning his badge and turning his gun, uh, Officer Pantaleo. But they're saying that the other officers that were standing around there should also be facing some kind of charges. What do you think about that? I think they should uh, be charged collectively because it is their duty to protect all citizens, even if you're going to arrest them. And you see one of your colleagues out of control, evidently, you kind of, even if you have to do it, I, I know that when we have a situation, a medical situation, and we see one of our EMTs about to do the wrong thing, what oh, we man. do is gently go over to him and correct them without making a scene. And that's what the police, the guys on the scene should have did. They seen this guy is choking him, and the man is saying, I can't breathe. Wouldn't somebody say, you know, hey, hey bro, lighten up a little bit, you know? Right. He's going, you know. Or I got this, or well, we got this. one of the officers say, get off of his neck. Yeah. After the officer is choking him, uh, one of the officers put his leg on Mr. Gardner's neck to hold him down. Usually they do things like that in order to control the scene, and you hear one well, of the officers say, get I'm off sorry. of his neck. Let me tell you what happens when there is uh 
a lack of oxygen to the brain. First of all, you're in compensated shock. Compensated shock, the body is still trying to breathe. Now, once you get into decompensated shock, then you go into seizures, and it looks like he's resisting everything, but he's fighting for his life. He's not fighting for you. And then he go into irreversible shock, which uh, means he is dying. And that's what happened to him. You see him first go into the seizures, then you see him go limp. He is dead. And then nobody, including the young lady that came on the scene, started CPR. Nobody. This man could have been resuscitated. And all of this could have been just another physical arrest. But nobody did nothing. You're saying he, he, he could have, you believe his he life could have been, been saved. Yeah, if they would have did the right thing because it just happened he wasn't supposed to die. All they had to do was get them cuffs off of him, open up the airway, ventilate, compress. You could have kept him alive until he got to the hospital. He certainly wouldn't have died on the scene if my EMS saved life was on the scene. I'll tell you like that. Uh, Mr. Ramsey, the person that actually recorded the uh, video asked why isn't it someone doing CPR? At that time, an officer turned around and said because he's breathing. Uh, some the layman person or the civilian or someone that's not medically trained don't know about something called agonal breathing. And that's when the brain is actually still trying to breathe. You have no heart rate. Mm-hmm. Your heart may not be going. You may not have no pulse. And you still will be breathing. This could be known as gaffes of breathing. He could be breathing just like little hiccups. It could be little hiccups, and it to to someone to that's someone who not doesn't know you at, would think that was breathing. You would think that's breathing, or someone that don't have a sense of urgency in the emergency. So if you have an inexperienced EMT there, they're not sure if they have a pulse, so they're like, I don't want to press on this man's chest, and he actually has a pulse. She may have been scared; she may harm the person, or just the agonal respiration. They may have assumed that it was adequate enough to sustain life. It was obvious that he wasn't able to sustain. And she had right, more guts than anybody else on that scene because at least she approached the patient. At least, at least she got, so at least, we'll at least she got close, and she did look intimidated. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that for her, but not much else. Um, Doctor Darren Porcher, the uh, what do you think needs to happen quickly for, from here in order to learn from this experience? And as Police Commissioner Bratton said, make something you know, make some positive changes as a result of this. I believe the professional development is an essential component in this. But once again, I'll stick to I believe that body cameras on the officers on patrol would be one of the greatest solutions that can assist in getting us past this. All right. I think I, I think that what we're talking about here is larger than the training, larger than a, a, a technical fix. I think that the body cameras are a good idea, but I think part of what we're dealing with is a mindset. It's not necessarily about training in and of itself. I think that a significant issue that we're we're sort of tackling and seeing the result of and the manifestation of is the mindset that is sort of incubated within many aspects of the NYPD. And in order to fix that mindset, part of what is going to have to happen is that there needs to be an equal, across-the-board, uniform response when these incidents of abuse of discretion and abuse of, of force uh, continue to occur. All right, Commander Rocky Robinson and Antoine Robinson, I'm going to give you guys the last word here, real quick. And I'm, I'm very happy that you're going to be at our Brooklyn Push for Peace on <laughs> August 16th. Yeah, well, I, I'd like to see CPR initiated in every school and in our city, uh, from the uh, junior high school right on up, 
I believe that all police officers should be uh, trained in CPR at the minimum. It's only a four-hour course, you know, and it will save a lot of lives because most of our officers and EMTs, they got good hearts, and they out there trying to do the right thing. But in very difficult in while, circumstances a lot I'm of times, too. But uh, at Bed-Stuy, because we're used to this type of trauma, you understand? We do stabbings and shootings and people off the roofs and everything you could think of. So when they go through our academy, then we put them into our intern program. When they get out of there, they're right for the fire department, the EMS, and uh, our volunteers do it because they love the community. They don't get paid, but they are professionals. They take the same test, the same test as uh, FDNY. So, if- and you are one of our heroes of our community because for decades you've been doing this work, and you you were doing it even when there was a there was a time there for a while when the ambulances were not getting to we into the community ha- too quickly. Have, we didn't have an ambulance when we started. Me and a guy named Joe Perez, we were the first Ghostbusters. We used to put <laughs> oxygen tanks on our back, trauma kits in our head, and we run on the scene and still beat the paid guys. And there. you still beat them there. All right. Well, we want to thank you so much, and Antoine Robinson, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. We, we really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, being at our Brooklyn Push for Peace on Saturday, August 16th. We will 16th. be there. We will be you there. You will be there. Uh, that's so awesome. And so I just got a text message also. So will our very favorite uh, psychologist, Dr. Elisa English. She's going to be there with us, too, as she was in the Bronx and, and always giving us that love and support. So we appreciate that. So all the Brooklyn community groups, we still have a few tables left. You need to be proactive about this. You need to get with our producer, Tone Capone. His email is Tone, the number four real at gmail.com Saturday, August 16th we have so many groups already signed up and uh, we got the we got sororities we got lay the guns down uh, we got the Brooklyn DA's office is coming they're going to be involved Shanduke McFadder with GMAC we have got uh, Say Peace to Gun Violence. We've got Kareem Nelson, Wheelchairs Against Guns. We've got Ryan Max Group, Operation Hope, Social Media for Kids, Life Beat, so many others that I can't even mention. But if you want more information, make sure you go to lisaevers.com. Follow me on Twitter. Hit up my producer, executive producer, Tone Capone. Mayno and Murder Mook will be in the building, along with the one and only Erica Mena, who's been doing a lot of work in the community. And uh, also, i got to say big shit. Can I do the We Fly High? Yeah. For, okay, let's do it. I wear a mean dark pair of shades. <laughs> All right, this is the, this is a special tribute to Michael Strahan. Congratulations on being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Super Bowl year for the New York Giants in New York was awesome. And, you know, it was all because he came on Street Soldiers. That's what really got his career popping. So big shout-out to Michael Strahan. We're real proud of you. Our New York guy is doing really great. We love it. So, uh, also, uh, you know the deal, Tone for Real? This episode of Street Soldiers was made hot for you by Metro Plus Healthcare. Log on to hot97.com slash Metro Plus to register for your chance to win a trip to Florida. They're going to be at the Roosevelt Houses with me in Brooklyn on uh, Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. So stop by there. You can register for that trip there. And also thanks to everyone here at Hot 97. My Street Soldiers team, product, uh, Program Director Jay Dixon, Assistant Program Director Carly Hustle, Digital Director Jeffrey Thacker, our Executive Producer Tone Capone, Associate Producer Amber Ravenel, production and phone op rose d the one and only tj on the boards and digital assistant twitter at lisa evers instagram lisa evers live and you can listen to all previous street soldiers episodes 2013 and 2014 free 
on LisaEvers.com. You can also see my Fox 5 videos. Check me out on the Fox 5 News at 6 and 10 tonight. Be a part of this show any way you want to. Email Tone Capone, Tone, the number four real at gmail.com. Have a great week. And remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace. Ho, ho, hold on. Christmas in August. You bet. Sansone Kia is sure to make you extra jolly with a $500 Apple gift card through the Christmas and August sales event. We're taking up to $5,000